Venga is a real-time strategy game developed by Eric Rempen, who started working on it three years ago. When Eric started, he had no game development experience. Now, three years later, he just launched a Kickstarter, which is, as the recording of the intro, almost fully funded and still has about 15 days to go. So it's looking very good. And uh, yeah, we just had a chat about his journey, the lessons he learned along that path. And I hope that you guys learn a lot from it. Yo, what's up, Eric? Welcome to the show. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, <laughs> and good evening. <laughs> <laughs> well, we live in completely different time zones, so what is, what is it for you? Uh, it's the afternoon. It's about uh, four in the afternoon. For me, for me, it's actually, I guess, theoretically still morning. It's uh, 11, 11 a.m. here. Right. Uh, so, yeah, for people who don't know you, like, where, where, where are you right now? Yeah, I'm actually in Thailand in Bangkok. I've been living here about eight years. Um, and it's a good place to live. I'm not Thai. <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I was born in the U.S., but um, yeah. I'm, I'm quite happy here. It was really cool. There's like this new Netflix series I've been watching. I don't know what it's called in, in English, but it's like about this, this this like guy who goes around in like Thailand and Bangkok and he like drugs tourists and he does all this crazy stuff. So it looks really beautiful. Not that the stuff he's doing is good, but right. uh, Thailand just looks amazing. Like, so I'm definitely jealous. It is. I have um, a lot of postcard moments. Yeah, I can imagine, man. I definitely want to go to Thailand as well, but let's not get too carried away there. Right. Um, you, you're in the middle of a of a, something really exciting. You're developing a game called Kainga. Um, it's on yeah. Kickstarter right now, actually, so people can back that. Um, but yeah, like tell us a little bit about like how you, how you got started there with uh, with uh, you know developing that game. Yeah, so Kainga's, like you said, uh, I just launched the Kickstarter, which is pretty exciting. Uh, it's a big milestone. It's something I had in the plan from a long time ago. So I started this project about, oh, I don't know, maybe three years ago. And um, it was, I, I mean, I kind of went through all the steps of development. I'm on my own here, and um, I had to teach myself how to do programming and learn everything about game design to get to this point. And it's, it's kind of been a, quite a battle, but I really, I'm really happy with the results so far. Yeah. Yeah, it looks incredible. Like for people who've not seen it, you know, personally, uh, I really noticed it from like Reddit, where you you put shirts and posts. It's like a really, you know, unique art style, two um, D two D kind of mixed with three D blend, uh, massive creatures. Um, this kind of like inspiration from I guess like tribal tribal kind of historic elements in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool. Like, can you tell us like take us back maybe three years back? What kind of ignited that desire to to actually make a game, given that you you know, you don't, I don't think you have like a, last time we spoke, you didn't, you mentioned that we didn't have like a background in anything gaming related. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I guess, I don't know. It's kind of a, an artistic pull to try something new in one way. Um, at the time I was working as a graphic designer and a painter, like an old school painter. <laughs> and um, I, I thought, um, there was this game that I used to play when I was a really young child called Populous, Populous, the beginning. And some people who see the art that I've done will probably recognize that. Um, 
And I've always wanted there to be a sequel to that game. Um, not that this is, but it's inspired by it partly. Also, I played a lot of city builders. Um, this is a city builder game for those that don't know. It's, um, it's a bit of a strategy game. And, uh, I was always a big fan of them, like civilization or age of empires, but they always kind of like, um, drove you down the same path of development. Every time you played age of empires, it was like, okay, build two houses, build a barracks, build an archery range in that, in that order. I mean, there's a little bit of deviation, but I kind of wanted to play a game that was a lot more diverse so that when you, when you played it, it, it every time was a surprise. What, what was going to happen? You would, like what, how you could develop to adapt to your environment. And since uh, that kind of game doesn't exist, <laughs> as far as I know, I decided, fine, I'll just, I'll make it myself. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like, I mean, that sounds like, kind of reminds me of the Stardew Valley story. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but like, it's pretty much the same backstory. I think in that case, it was like Harvest Moon, where he, where he was waiting for a sequel, or he wanted to play a sequel, and he just kind of started making that game. And obviously, you know, that was a huge success story, so... Uh, you know, let's hope that we can repeat it here with with Kainga. Definitely sounds like a really interesting premise because obviously there's, you know, um, like you said, there's like that that interesting mechanic, I think, of, of needing to make the player adapt to um, something new every time by giving them not really the predictability of, you know, what is the map going to look like. I think that's also procedurally generated in your game, if I believe. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, the, is like the technology trees as well, like you said. Yeah, so the technology tree is all procedurally generated. Um, it could be completely different each time. And that kind of pushes the player in, in an odd direction. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's kind of, uh, when people play it for the first time, it does kind of put you upside down. You're like, wait a minute. I, uh, I don't know what um, what the best option is. And that's kind of the point, is to, to break you out of that mold of there is no best option every time. You know, you kind of have to uh, learn something new, try 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 out new ideas. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, by accident, the game kind of developed into a roguelite as well. So it kind of adopted that genre through this, through the procedural generation, through the permanence. Um, and so it kind of became the roguelite village builder. <laughs> um, so kind of... One thing I find is really cool is, is just listening to like developers when they start is like, especially when they're ne- when they've never gotten into like game development before, you know, just making their first game. I like I don't like to speak about like the kind of journey from from like learning from going really to zero to kind of learning and, and becoming more, you know, self sufficient. Like, how did you approach that? How did you really get started? What was your kind of approach? Like, what did you learn first? Coding, mm-hmm. art, and um, yeah, can you walk us like through that if you still kind of have a remember how you did that? Yeah, and I get asked this a lot. Like, there are a lot of solo developers out there in the world who are trying to follow along the same path, and it is. I have to say, the beginning was an extremely difficult time trying to figure out the answers to my questions and trying to figure out what I didn't know. Um, like some questions, you don't know how to ask because you don't know what you don't know yet. <laughs> it's, it's really hard. Like, um, but the way I did it was just one step at a time, like making smaller tasks 
Like instead of saying, I want to create a resource management system, you just start with something like, I want to be able to click on something and know what it is. or It tells me what resource that is. Um, it just bite-sized chunks. So I did start with Unreal Engine um, before all the 3D and 2D modeling and kind of built this rudimentary base building game. And then as more pieces were needed, they got added in. So, you know, I got tired of looking at cubes. So I worked on a little bit on in Blender for a little bit of 3D modeling. But again, I didn't teach myself all the ins and outs of every, um, every software because each one is incredibly deep. So I just kind of taught myself what I needed to know at the time and then improved on it later. I think that's, yeah, this is a great approach for, you know, especially someone who, like you said, is like a solo developer, kind of more focused on the end product than perhaps like someone who's trying to get a job in the industry. You know, you mm -hmm. don't really need to be an expert to get, I would say like a, at least acceptable result in a specific area. And if it needs that kind of like next level polish, you can always like hire someone who does like a little bit here and there for, you know, some special art asset in your game that needs to look really amazing. Yeah. Um, especially when you're using a tool like Unreal Engine, which you know, out of the box just has some great graphics there. Yeah, it definitely helps a lot. Like just being able to not have to uh, calculate light. <laughs> That's yeah. a huge, huge um, bonus to using one of the the, the, the tools at hand. And the, the tools at hand are really good. Unity and Unreal are incredible. Uh, the Godot or I don't know how to pronounce it. Godot, Godot, I, I, Godot engine. Bay, I think actually, how do you even say it? But yeah. And YouTube is uh, an endless supply of information. And it is amazing. Like every question you have, you just type it into Google and somebody else has already been asked it and someone else has answered it. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. It's an incredible time. Um, yeah, with this like kind of power and accessibility just at our fingertips for free as well. Like mm -hmm. it's crazy. It's even like, You know, I almost feel sorry for, I don't know if you heard about this, but there's like this other company, game engine company uh, called Buildbox that are like uh, now getting kind of, they're getting like uh, criticized for, for their like trying to raise the revenue cut and whatnot. But it's crazy because like, you know, if I was going to build like a game engine company, I'd also be worried about money, but like Unity and Unreal, they're not like, they're just giving it out for free. And it's just, it's, it blows my mind kind of this industry, like. Yeah, and all this stuff is available for free. How big it is! I've uh, I've read that the video game industry is bigger than movies and music combined. Wow, yeah, it's crazy. I think a lot of that is also like a bit maybe hidden from us as well because I think a lot of that's mobile as well, and maybe that's yeah. not something that we personally are too focused on. Yeah, um, or at least I'm, I I got focused on it last year a little bit, but um, it is something that like. You know, that isn't, you think all the free games in mobile, oh, they, they, they can't be making that much money, but they're making a lot of money. So yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah. Um, so you, you kind of taught yourself um, all this, all this kind of development stuff, you know, just think, like you said, just kind of doing it as you, as you went along. Did you have like some kind of roadmap or game design document or something that helped you kind of figure out what your vision was, how far you needed to go down a particular road of those. That also something you kind of developed as you went along. I do now. I have a, I have a pretty strict roadmap that I'm keeping to. 
Um, it's like on a month by month basis that goes up until the the end of uh, end of 2022. But when I started, I um, yeah, I'm, I'm far too organized. I think <laughs> when I started, it was just kind of weekly goals or something that I wanted to see happen. I just put it in a list and then as I did them, I just checked off those lists, which is incredibly satisfying. Um, and I kind of made a rule for myself, um, what I call the no zero days where every day I would work on something, whether it was, you know, drawing a little bit or just a bit of programming, a bit of, um, 3d modeling or whatever. Every day I would do at least, 15 minutes of working on the project. Um, and that kind of uh, keeps keeps the flow going quite well because you'd be surprised after, you know, three months of 15 minutes, it really adds up. I think mm. persistence is really the key here because three, three years is an incredible long, incredible amount of time. Um, and it, 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 was a, it was very slow growth in the beginning, but over time, I think it's really, it adds up. And I think if you stick to that, you stick to your same project over that long period of time, it's going to end up good. But yeah. I think a lot of mistakes people make are, you know, having a great idea and then having another great idea and then not knowing which one to do and bouncing back and forth, um, which I never had. I kind of just said, this is what I want to make. This is what, how it's going to look like this, in my mind. This is what it's, going to feel like and i just spent all my energy to build towards that yeah i love that i love that zero day um principle like having some kind of accountability system yeah even if it's just something like doing something really basic uh yeah it's a, it's, it's great advice like how did you kind of um you know you said there that i think you you were like doing this full time you're working as a graphic designer and, and painter um, how did you kind of balance those that with your kind of game development? Are there any like tips that you would give to someone who's trying to maybe do the same thing as like many solo developers, I think, are, are trying to do exactly that? Yeah. Um, I think uh, it's, at least for me, I found a lot of success in cutting corners. <laughs> right. And by that, I don't, I don't mean making it uh, crappy. I just mean that like, cut out the things that you that are not absolutely necessary but all yep. the parts that that need to be there work on that like for example my animations are four four frames long because that's as many as i could that's the minimum i could have for an animation like a running animation yeah. um i mean it could easily double that and make it eight and it would look a lot smoother but it doesn't really it doesn't need need that for the feel that that the game's going for um, so yeah, just, just, you know, focus, I guess, I don't know, it's hard <laughs> working full time and then also doing game, game development is something that, um, if it's not fun, then <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it because <laughs> it's a lot of work, but yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's actually a fantastic, uh, piece of advice. I think is like, I think we already touched upon it. Like, don't, don't try to kind of be a perfectionist don't try to go too deep into one topic like i guess if you're like an artist like professional vfx artist or whatever you might be like focused super hard on like some particles in the game or whatever mm -hmm. but you know when you're making an indie game that's not going to really 
you need to kind of have like a little bit of everything to kind of carry your game up and have like a minimum level of quality in all areas you know mm -hmm. that's just like that one amazing particle system or animation whatever isn't really going to make people like your game if like the art yeah. the, the 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 gameplay isn't just that fun um yeah so yeah i love that like cutting corners spreading out maybe thinking about like in your art style how can you cut some corners as well in terms of how can you choose an art style that looks really appealing and maybe saves you some time is that kind yeah. of what you did when you went for the sort of paper paper art style as well can you tell us like a little bit about that and some of the you know challenges and things you experimented with when you were working on that yeah actually this is one of the things that i would not budge on in terms of the art design i really wanted this these 2d characters in a 3d world and unreal engine is not built for that it's built for 3d characters in a 3d world or 2d in in a 2d world obviously so um this is something that i really banged my head against for a long time trying to figure out how to get it to work. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason why I wanted to go for that art style is kind of because it was, uh, I think there's a lot of retro nostalgia that people will see in that and, and appreciate. Uh, but it was, it was quite difficult to, to kind of get the animations to work, make them always face the camera, depending on no matter what um, direction they're facing the characters. And then having a rotating camera as well added another layer of complexity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I think like from our last interview, you also mentioned that you actually made the monsters like 3D because of that, because you were having like challenges of like making them in 2D. And, and yeah, I think like that's like a recurring pattern I've seen from talking to game developers who do this kind of 2D and 3D. There's always some more challenge than you think it is. But I think in the end, you know, it can save you a lot of time if you if you really do it right, because obviously 3D is always harder. Yeah. Usually not always harder, but it adds a lot more complexity, especially when you're working on it by yourself. But when you, when it comes to animation, 3D is easier, in my yeah. opinion, because um, you do an animation once and it's good. But for 2D, I have to do it eight times for each, each angle. Like you know, that's actually, that's true. And also like, if you can use like Mixamo, I don't know if you know that, it's like, it's like a website where you can download pre-made animations and they're uh -huh. very high quality, but they're mainly made for um, like humanoid characters, not necessarily the monsters that you would be using in your game, but right. definitely really important if you're making that kind of game. Yeah, that's something I would recommend is use placeholder art uh, as much as you can, like at least when you're starting mm -hmm. out, just to create a game that's fun, uh, yeah. even if it looks halfway between... Um, all these different art styles. If it's fun, you know, people will, it'll show. It'll show quite quickly. Yeah, did you do like play tests or show the game to people and, and make them play it? Maybe, yeah, like, can you tell us a little bit about that, how you decided if it was fun? I did, actually. Um, and it was not fun for a long time. People thought I was crazy. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, okay, this is okay. But I don't get it. And I think it only, only recently it became something that was um, fun to do. And it's because city builders require a lot of um, influences to be interesting. Like building a small town is fun for five seconds, but it's the challenges and it's the, um, the imperative of failing um, that makes it fun. So it, it took some time before the game was actually fun. And I did have to change a lot. 
there were a lot of a lot of versions where you know you would the camera would be stuck to the main character the thinker um, and by moving WASD it would walk him around and then I had another version where you would have him walk up to different items in the world and then he would come up with technology based on that um, just a lot of crazy ideas that I would try out and then show to my brother and he would say I don't get it <laughs> and then I'd have to change it and improve it is it mainly um, you know friends and family that were testing the game or did you you know maybe try and organize like a little test play group or do it online or something like this um, it was mainly family yeah mm. my friends are actually none of them are into video games at all <laughs> right so to them it's like you know they don't even know the WASD move keys um, but my my family really helps my brothers especially and um, I, I did end up doing an alpha test with a really early build on online with um, mm -hmm. a bunch of people on my discord and they seem to really enjoy it even though it was a terrible buggy mess that really really helped just having people say look this doesn't work this I was, I was trying to do this but couldn't happen and um, uh, other than that I would say watching people play it is actually really beneficial as well mm, definitely I think it's really important because you yeah you can see especially if you're doing like an in-person test I think you can kind of see like when the person reaction like oh like when they really like something you can see mm -hmm. it on their face like yeah. this really triggered them and they didn't get this like you said that's really important especially if you're trying to like i think like the first seconds are really important as well was that something you experienced in your play test is like if they yeah. don't get it right away or they don't have some kind of positive experience at the beginning then you know like the retention like the amount of players who will continue playing or want will mm -hmm. enjoy the rest of the experience is like much less if you yeah if you can't get into it if that makes sense if it's frustrating in the beginning then it's not going to be fun exactly um, and I think this is probably a bigger challenge for platformers. Um, right. This is why the platformer genre, I think, is particularly difficult to um, to crack into is because it's either boring or frustrating. Those are the, the two initial <laughs> feelings, in my opinion, for a lot of first-time platformers that haven't really sorted out their balance yet. So true. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to, to get that like magic on the play where they're like, this is something really fresh to them. Like mm -hmm. you said, like it's either, yeah, you, you kind of nailed it. They're boring or frustrating. I think it's great. Yeah. Saying. It is something I'm having a bit of trouble with because like the animals in the, in the game in Kayinga are really weird and really large, which is kind of mm -hmm. unusual and people want to play with that. But, um, it's, uh, I'm having a bit of trouble kind of, making them more a part of the gameplay uh, within, uh, like, in a way that makes sense. <laughs> right. So they are there, but there's no, there is, like, it's not a necessity to be, to involve them in your game, which I guess is fine as well. Yeah. I, f I guess, like, one thing you could kind of introduce that maybe, like, get the player excited is maybe have, like, a, a really early game creature or something like that, something... Mm -hmm. that they can use right at the beginning of the game and make familiarize them with. But mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if this is something you're already doing. I haven't played the alpha yet, so still still waiting to, to 
to get hands on the game. Uh, coming so, soon, yeah. <laughs> exactly, coming soon, coming soon. So uh, yeah, let's let's get right into that discussion as well. Like, you know, last time we spoke. So for people who who don't know, on the blog we have like a post as well from our last discussion, which was actually I think exactly almost, well, not exactly, but like about a year ago. Wow. And you were, we were talking about as well, like, um, you know. Uh, what were your plans? Like, how are you going to maybe uh, approach the future with, with Kainga? And I think one of the things you mentioned was Kickstarter, which is what you ended up going with. Yeah. And uh, so um, I want I to, I think you're the first person I'm interviewing about Kickstarter specifically about game development. It's like, yeah, like tell us about how you approach that. How do you think like Kickstarter would be a great fit for your game? And um, yeah, how you started just organizing that. Yeah, I think... It was kind of a part of the plan from the beginning. It took a little bit longer to get um, to that point than I expected a few by a few months. Uh, but I chose Kickstarter because I think it's a really good way to build a community and um, get a lot of people excited about it um, at the same time. But mm. to be honest, I think I, I, I didn't expect how much... Um, of a sour mood there is for video gamers for Kickstarter. I get a lot of people who say like, Oh, I would back this, but I promised myself I, I would never do another Kickstarter. Um, wow. I think, yeah, which is interesting. I think for things like board games, it's a, it's a much more open community, but I think that because video games take so long to make, a lot of people feel burned from Kickstarter. Um, but I think it's been really helpful so far. I mean, we're only two, three days in, um, at this, at the time of recording and, um, it's looking good and I'm really happy with the, the amount of, um, growth in the community so far. And I think this game particularly benefits from, uh, community involvement. I mean, all games would on mm -hmm. a marketing sense, but this one is great because, um, I could come up with some crazy ideas for technologies and then get the community to vote on which one I should add in. And they, they can, you know, be involved in the development of the game. Where totally. if, it's, if it's more linear, if it's a story driven game, that may not be as easy. Yeah, that's true because you don't want to spoil it. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think you made a great point there and really interesting observation I made as well is like, Kickstarter seems to be less and less about kind of really what it was about initially, which was helping people fund their game mm -hmm. and more about like kind of marketing as well. Right. Um, you know, for, for me, it also seems like, you know, um, yeah, like a lot of people are using it kind of in that way is that they want like to get a bit more exposure um, yeah. through Kickstarter as well. The money helps obviously and like validating the idea, seeing if people are willing to pay money for it is a great way to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, of course, but, but, yeah. I think I think it's changed over time. Like when Kickstarter started, it was an idea. Somebody would ha say, "Hey, I have an idea for a video game. Do you want to yeah. help me make it?" And now I think that doesn't fly. The I think yeah. the only reason why the game's going well is because it's almost like it. It looks great. It it can you can play it. It's um it's it's almost done. Just lacks content. But yeah. If I had launched my Kickstarter a year ago when I when we last spoke, I don't think people would have gone for it as much <laughs> because of the mm -hmm. way that it looked and felt. It just, I think, 
people are looking for nearly finished products to jump on board. Yeah. No, that's exactly, that's, I think that's exactly how it is. And it's kind of weird because it's completely, you know, it's not really funding anymore so much. Like, yeah, you're giving yeah. someone a bit of money in advance, but it's a little bit like a, a pre-order, I guess, more these yeah. days. Um, but I think that makes sense because like you said, like if, if, if you give me uh, $200,000 for an idea, let's say for me to build it, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't, I don't know if the motivation would be there. Um, as opposed to if I got my funding from like institutional investors mm-hmm. or like getting a loan from the, from the bank yeah. where I know that if I don't actually make the product and it's, it's, it's good, I'm going to have some kind of repercussion if that makes sense. It's also about the time, like, yeah. you know, a $200,000 game could take three or four years. Yeah. And, you know, people's lives, ask. people could get divorced by then. <laughs> Their lives are totally different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like, that's what is this? Right. I don't remember backing yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's totally true. That's totally true. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, like, uh, you're obviously, I think, like a first-time Kickstarter creator. Yeah. And from the stories that I've listened to, you know, you often, a lot of people either like they underestimate how, how much work it takes for one. And they're also not really that familiar with like how to really approach it. So how did you go about kind of learning about what you need to do to, to do your Kickstarter? And then how did you kind of go about implementing all that necessary uh, p- preparation? Well, it takes time. It, it did. I expected it to take a lot of time and it took more time than I expected. <laughs> and it still is. You know, uh, it's a it's a full time job running a Kickstarter. <laughs> it feels like, but um, yeah. I did have help with this as well. I um, my brother run he ran a couple of successful Kickstarters for board games. Cool. So he knew the ropes and kind of what the steps were, what needs to be done, what what works and what doesn't. For the most part, it's different audiences, but it was it was definitely helpful to have his advice. Um, and I guess to pass that advice down, I think my advice would be keep it simple, but keep it interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of Kickstarters with a lot of complexity and, uh, you know, a list of 50 stretch goals and stuff like that. Different pledge levels with plushy toys, um, and stickers and stuff. But then you end up spending all your time trying to, you know, get stickers printed and things like that. Did you go hundred percent digital? I did. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. I think I just, I want to focus my time on developing the game and as much as I would love to have, you know, um, I, I would really like to have a printed book and maybe I can do that at some point. Like I really wanted to create a user manual that like, you know, like, like in the nineties when you buy a video game, it comes with this, you know, a little book about how to play yeah. and what's in it. I but miss I, the physical aspects of gaming. Yeah. Yeah, but I think the 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 benefit of that kind of doesn't outweigh the the effort it would take and the costs. Uh, I, that's a great assessment. Yeah, like can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with that with that um, number? You're raising fifteen thousand um, dollars USD. Yeah. So um, tell us about like you know why why was that the right number? Well, I hope it was the right number. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I wanted to, it's a balance, isn't it? Because I am on my own, so I can't really shoot for a million dollar game. 
it's my first project, so there's some um, there's some risk there as well. Um, and I wanted to create, I don't know, I I wanted to set a number that was that was reasonable but not uh, cheap either. I didn't want to cut myself short and um, seem like this is you know. Uh, not a full, fully thought out idea. Yeah. So I ended up on fifteen thousand. I was kind of debating between somewhere between twelve and twenty. So I went with fifteen. Mm-hmm. And then the cost of the game itself is fifteen dollars, which is a little bit. Uh, I know it's a little bit on the high side for indie games, but the, just the amount of work that goes into it, it's. I think it's well worth it. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think, uh, yeah, like you said, it's important not to cut yourself too short. And I think that yeah. $15 is, I don't think it's necessarily a lot for, for an indie game. But yeah, yeah, if you balance it out, like that's a burrito and a movie, which is about <laughs> three hours of enjoyment, which you can de- you definitely get from more than that from, from a video game. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Put, yeah, you got to put it into perspective. One thing I thought was really interesting when, when reading through your Kickstarter com, uh, comments, actually, was that someone mentioned um, like a, a concern about like cultural appropriation, like yeah. culture in your game, because obviously it's a, a tribal game. Um, I thought that was really interesting, and, and like, I want yeah, I was wondering if you could kind of like talk about you know maybe some of the challenges when you're making a game where these some players may raise this concern and how you're kind of approaching it and trying to solve it yeah this is a tricky issue um this is a really something i've been struggling with for a long time ever since the game's conception and um i'm my approach to it is to try to mix the worlds or use inspiration from world cultures everywhere without singling one out um to try to avoid any kind of direct identification And um, the, my other approach is to show the power of each of the cultures. There's no degrading in any way of any of the uh, cultural aspects of in the game. Mm. It's all about you know sh- showing how how good um, and, and like the benefit of being different in my way. That's kind of the point of the game in one way. Um, this is a tricky issue, and I think this is going to be something that's eventually may cause some problems down the line. And me being, you know, a white male, it's a bit, a bit of a hard thing to say that I'm an expert at it, which I'm not. So down the line, I will, I do plan on hiring um, a cultural consultant, which is a position mm. that I recently learned was a thing. Um, to kind of look over it and and pick out what might be offensive and try to adjust it so it's not that way. That's really interesting. Like some, like for example, um, a lot of movies from the '90s or '80s would not be accepted nowadays. Um, yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah. And games as well, but a lot of modern um, movies and games do have a lot of cultural influences and um, the way that they do it is in a, is in a positive manner. Uh, like 
but I don't know. I don't want to single anything out, <laughs> but yeah, it is a hot topic and I'm, 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 it's going to be a, it's going to be a rocky road, but I'm really trying my best to try to create something that's fun and interesting that blends the world's cultures rather than, um, isolates them. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's like some of the things that as an, you know, as an outsider who might not really like think about it all day or a game developer who's maybe not developing this kind of game, it's something you, that is definitely important, but mm-hmm. not really that obvious to, to think about as well. Yeah. Um, how are you kind of like approaching uh, marketing Kickstarter and, and getting the word out um, about it? Like, has that been something that you've been thinking about actively? And- yeah, yeah. It's a big part. Um, I am just posting on Twitter <laughs> for the most part and then Reddit. Um, <laughs> Twitter is very open um to to you know random postings but twitter cycles very quickly um i i also post on reddit but it's very difficult i think to to strike gold on reddit which um because reddit is such a platform that is anti-advertising which is great it's one of the benefits one of the reasons why i like it and Mm -hmm. so if you're you know even if you're posting about your kickstarter that's a form of advertising in a way so yeah. once people catch on to that, they're like, okay, what is this? We don't want that here. So it is, it is a bit tricky. Um, I thought about Facebook, but I just really don't like Facebook and I don't want to <laughs> get myself involved in that. So I did not um, push for Facebook, but I'm not doing any paid ads or anything. Um, and the last angle, which is probably the most um, beneficial for me at the moment is I handed the game out to a few let's players yeah um and they just a few like and and they tried it out and posted a couple videos and the audience that sees those videos is a lot larger than the audience i could ever reach how's that how's that been like distributing how's that uh how have you gone approached like distributing your game like how did you choose the influencers how did you get in touch with them yeah i chose um, let's players who played similar games, obviously. So I just kind of thought of games that were base building games or ancient civilization type games and also indie games, most importantly, and, um, reached out to them that way. Um, and then just, I contacted them like regular people (laughs) and they responded. But I think the key was having a, having a playable build as well. Like I said before, I think a lot of Kickstarters don't have a playable game um, when they launch on on Kickstarter. But having that uh, playable version, which was interesting, uh, caught their attention. Cool. Cool cool advice there, I think. So, um, yeah, thanks for sharing all of that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. They've been super nice about it. I'm really really delighted with the response. So it's already it's already playable on when you go on the Kickstarter page you can just uh, download it and give it a go. You cannot no. Um, I um, I created a build for them which was kind of a um, a planned experience in a way, but it'll be it'll be available for Kickstarter backers in July in a beta, and then if uh, backers don't want to participate in the beta, which is fine. I mean it's unfinished unfinished game yeah. so it has issues um they they'll be able to play the early access release in the fall which is not too far away yeah it's not 
That's awesome. So I better get uh, <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of pressures on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's one thing that just work on your own project alone in your house, and then now I've got hundreds of people um, yeah. with expectations. Yeah, actual customers. So yeah. I mean, that also I'm sure that feels great as well. Yeah, it you does. get excited when you got your first uh, backers or customers, like people wanting to play, pay and play your game. Yeah. It's just great to see so many people excited about it. Like, it's just something that I kind of thought up on my own. And then people around the world are, are excited to play. And that's, that's, it's fantastic. It's like a dream come true. If, if my little game can bring, you know, enjoyment to somebody on the other side of the world, that's, I've, I've succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so yeah, um, Thanks for your time. I think it's it's good to take um, like now's a good point to to kind of wrap it up. Um, so like as like a last piece of advice for any any uh, budding game developer, what would be like your your like biggest lesson from this journey to you know for Kainga so far? Um, I think it may sound cliche, but I would say never give up. Okay. Just because it's like the the only reason why. I, I've gone this far is because of persistence and not stopping when, um, you know, when all signs pointed in other directions, I just, you know, mm -hmm. just keep on going a little bit at a time. And then eventually it, it, it all came together. Yeah. yeah. Awesome advice. So, uh, everyone should check out the Kainga Kickstarter. It's going on right now. Yeah. Um, head down and um, yeah is there any other place that people should check out Kingo or follow you yeah I think, um, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, at at Kainga Game mm -hmm. and um, the Steam page also has a wealth of information but I really you know if you're looking for information about the game Kickstarter has it all <laughs> I really put a lot into it so check it out um, and yeah see if it's for you Awesome. It's been great. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, thank you so much. Happy to be here. Hey guys, Mark here from Moonlight Game Devs. Just a quick reminder, if you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a like or subscribing on whatever platform you're listening to. It really helps me out a lot. You know, it shows me that you guys like the content. And uh, yeah, hope you guys have a great week. <laughs>